Welcome to the Rethinking Humanity podcast, where we dive deeper into what makes us human and what causes us to thrive. I'm Lacey Delane. Hey, I'm Sonia Larea. Hey guys, welcome to uh, the next episode, episode 15. Wow. Uh, Rethinking Humanity, yay! It is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Sonia. Yeah, it's a big holiday here, right? Yeah, I'm not here in Atlanta. Yeah, there's a lot of people not working today. Right, and there's a lot of things going on. I would, you know, I'm not going to tell anyone what to go do, but if you go online, I know there are events planned virtual that Mm. are should be really cool, like speeches um, from Martin Luther King, um, and just yeah, some cool stuff. So Google it. Yeah, lots going on to celebrate Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, life and um, death. And, you know, one of the things I saw on Twitter earlier um, is a is an excerpt of his book, Chaos, Chaos or Community. Mm-hmm. And he talks about um, basic income. Right. It was actually the thing that he was fighting for before he died. And so I think that is something that uh, after having learned about basic income now, that is something that I hold dear to me about him and something that I hope that we will start to put into motion as a society. I mean, we've talked about it before, how much we love basic income, but let's stop with the, uh, uh, with the praise and the lip service for him and let's mm-hmm. put, put what he was fighting for. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and I think that a lot of people don't know that about him. And it's something we knew, I think you and I, based on our support of Andrew Yang and, uh, you know, just generally across the board through all of our country to have the universal basic income. And now more than ever, it's pressing. It's an issue that, uh, you know, with the COVID relief that um, it's become more mainstream, right? Right. Exactly. With the senators and the Congress where they're actually, they're actually talking about it where before it was just this, kind of out there idea. So uh, thank you, Martin Luther King, too, for yeah. supporting that. Yeah, I'm so thankful for that. Um, and his book, I read a little excerpt of it, uh, Chaos or Community, is very well written. He also said that the number of whatever that is, whatever the basic income is, needs to grow as the economy grows. So, and I'm like, man, this guy. Was, I love that. That's so awesome. It's true. Why would... I mean, we would want our salaries to increase when cost of living increases. So why wouldn't yeah. our basic income go up too? You know? I agree. hundred percent agree. Yeah. He was ahead of his time. He was, he was. So we're thankful for him. We also want to thank a couple more people who bought us a coffee. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'll start with Cheryl and Steve again. <laughs> yeah. They're so, they're so nice. They remembered us and we are so grateful that they listened to our podcast and our wonderful supporters. Yes, Cheryl and Steve, you guys are awesome. Thank you for the coffee. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. If you want to buy us a coffee and fuel the program, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash Lacey Delane or uh, buymeacoffee.com slash Sonia Luria or the one that needs a coffee the most. (laughs) Buymeacoffee.com slash Victor Ho, our awesome technical producer. We wouldn't be here without him. If you don't believe me, listen to uh, one of our bonus episodes where we talk about why. He tricked us into this shit, okay? (laughs) (laughs) That's why we're here. So buy him a coffee um, for sure. And thank you to the ones of you that have already done so. 
Um, yeah. So I wanted to share a cool story, Sonia. I don't yeah. think I told you about this. Um, oh. But Sonia, do you remember we were doing some sort of thing for the get out the vote mm -hmm. the runoffs and we were doing something where you write on people's cars, right? What was that that you guys were doing, Sonia? Well, we were doing it was for we're obviously here in Atlanta, Georgia, and for the Senate runoffs, um, we were supporting John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. And so we were taking um, their grease markers so they don't damage your car, but they're little markers that we put on our car to vote and the date and perhaps the names of the candidates. We drove around parts of Atlanta just to uh, get the energy up and right before the election. And yeah, so in Lacey, uh, you joined us actually, it was the day of voting, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was the day of. Uh huh. Which was cool. And so um, this is the group, by the way, that. Um, is now the group that is part of what I started as Atlanta Yang Gang. So I have connections. Sonia has been a big part of that. Um, and I haven't done a whole lot with it recently. But anyway, so they're doing this cool thing where like when you come out of voting, you sign the car and it's kind of like this fun thing, like, yay, we voted, you know, whatever. And so I was there hanging out for a little bit with Sonia and Tim. And I was like, hmm, I have a marker and I have my car. And I want to promote the podcast. <laughs> so I took uh, the, a yellow marker or the grease marker, whatever, and wrote on my car, check out Rethinking Humanity podcast um, on Apple Podcasts and all this other stuff. And so, so it was so funny because this weekend I had a day where I was just doing nothing all day and just, you know, whatever. And I was like, I got to get out of the house. So I ordered Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> and I drove up to Vinings and this is so, this is so crazy guys. So I'm like pulled in and waiting for a parking spot to open. Cause it was Saturday night. It was busy. And, um, this woman pulls up right beside me to exit and she rolls down her window and I'm like, what's going on? And I, I rolled down my window. She goes, what is this podcast you're you've written about on the back of your car? This is the second time I've seen you. She's like, "What? I have got to follow your podcast right now." Oh wow! <laughs> How cool is that? So, we, so cool. Yeah, isn't that amazing? So we had a little chat there, and she followed us on Instagram, and um, hopefully, uh, I'm sure she's listened to the podcast, um, and we appreciate you. And we love it whenever these types of things happen. If you know. see my car, if you live in Atlanta and you see my car, please say hello. That'll make my day. It really will. <laughs> that's so cool. That's a that's a great story, Lacey. Isn't that cool? I mean, yeah, Sonia, you never know. I mean, I, I feel yeah. like silly sometimes, but then I'm like, well, if it helps a podcast, then that's good. And yeah, I know we wanted true. to shout out the shout out to Yang Gang Book Club too. Yeah. Yeah, Yang Gang Book Club and Fun Time yeah. Program. They've been so good to right. us. They've been shouting out to us lately. Right. You want to tell yeah. maybe the listeners um, about Yang Gang Book Club and Fun Time Program? Yeah, you might so, have mentioned it before, but. Yeah, Yang Gang Book Club um, is the book club that was started by some folks who were Yang Gang. They've been going for a year now. They started in early 2020. Um, and they're just wonderful. They are very open-minded folks. They love books like Sonia and I do. Um, we've been on um, with them. They've been on with us. Mm -hmm. um, and we just want to support them because we love what they're doing. And the same with Fun Time Program. It's a newer podcast. 
different. It's not a book club, mm -hmm. but I love the variety of topics that they talk about on mm -hmm. their podcast. They recently had me on to talk about basic income and um, the runoff, which mm -hmm. was cool. Uh, really a fun episode. So check them out. Uh, mm -hmm. We love them. We want to support them and, um, you know, just want to invite you guys to check them out and let them know how much we appreciate them. And believe me, I think if you like our podcast, you're going to like theirs. Yes. Do. Yeah. yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, they are. And, uh, you know, I think one of the, uh, the other things that has helped me uh, the last couple of days um, has been, once again, this quiet punch. I'm telling you, it's so amazing. Yeah. It's so much fun. It's yeah. a stress. Yes, Sonia, I'm serious. We need to get video of you when you first try okay, it. It's, I will do that. It's so much fun. But uh, but it's a it's you know calorie burn. Uh, it's easy to set up and super lightweight. And in fact, once I know about my passport, as long as I'm going, I'm taking <laughs> that thing with me to Guatemala. That's wow. how great and small it is. It's it's easy That's to awesome. It's amazing. So if you're interested in it, check out quietpunch.com. You can use the code rethinking humanity at checkout to get 10% off and you'll be supporting our program, which we will greatly, greatly appreciate. Cool. Yeah, everybody go check it out. <laughs> yeah, check it out. So we are here again for uh, episode 15. When we were with you last, uh, we were talking with you about sane consumption. Um, and we were talking um, mostly out of chapter nine which is the very last chapter of the book to have or to be um, where from uh, Eric Fromm is talking about what the features of the new society might look like and might be. And part of that he presents is sane consumption. And so uh, we want to give a little overview of kind of what that is. Sonia, will you, will you speak a little bit about how you might in your own words, define sane consumption? In my own words, it would be consumption that is uh, the consumer is thinking rather than just um, acting uh, based on, say, advertising and um, sort of the norm of what we would be consuming. And same consumption would also include thinking of your environment. Um, is this something you really need? Right. What, um, what is it doing to others? There's just it's a huge um, umbrella, which you could find underneath there all the points that you want to do when, when you're thinking of consuming in a unselfish way, I would say. Yeah, I love that. I think that's well said. Um, we talked about some of the ways that we might be able to see same consumption come about from in the last episode um, that we chatted about. He, We were mentioning how he says that it needs to be an individual um, it needs to come from individuals, this desire and this change to sane consumption. This is um, episode 14. And just so you know, uh, you do not have to listen to episode 14. <laughs> be okay and hang out with us for episode 15 today. So don't worry about that. Um, but if you enjoy this theme, um, which we're finishing out and then we're going into a couple of other different themes in the same um, chapter, you can certainly go back and listen to episode 14 and we can talk some more, uh, or you will hear us talking more about that. Um, I think the last section we, we had talked about was um, how the government would be able to greatly facilitate the educational process of the benefits of a sane consumption by subsidizing production of desirable co commodities or healthy commodities, mm -hmm. or which I think is brilliant. 
Um, and then also about how a large educational campaign in favor of sane consumption um, could accompany the efforts. And I think that is uh, kind of a key to, you know, making the shift. Right. And I, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I know that we have this desire to see our society go towards that. And one of the things that From does talk about is you have to ask, you know, what furthers well-being? And we're basing this on the assumption that consumers want what is good for them, which we know that that is mm -hmm. not true because we've had advertising previously going back into probably the 50s of cigarettes, uh, you right. know, alcohol, uh, whatever. And so that's, that's the challenge, right? So, so determining mm -hmm. the consumers going to, we're assuming that they know what is good for them. And so advertising really drives that. And, right. and then we know behind that advertising are the corporations, right? So that's where you're going to get the, the pushback. Yeah. And, and from says what that really is, is it's in, it's advertisements basically just um, like they get people to want to, <laughs> that's what they do. And sure. so, because I might like Cheerios or cereal, let's call it cereal. Um, and you might like cereal too, but you might like a different brand. But if we see a commercial for cereal, right. It's going to make us want to buy cereal, right? Mm -hmm. so it all works together hand, hand in hand. And, you know, I think, um, what you're saying is really good. Like the pushback to saying consumption is we don't need that because the free market eco economy works out just fine how it is. Consumers are getting exactly what they want. But, but Fromm says that argument is based on the idea that consumers inherently want what's good for them. And we know that based, you know, on like cigarettes, drugs, mm -hmm. bad food, unhealthy foods, that's not true. Right. So we're assuming that they want what is good for them. And again, like what you're saying, the education is really important because if you're looking at like public service announcements where the government's involved, then you're having a different form of education yeah. where you're teaching society or you're sending a different message to society, say whether it's a healthier diet or whatever's going on on the planet that again, we're influenced by seeing the images and the message over and over again, and then in our society and other people around us hearing and seeing the same thing. Right. And I think From is advocating for those messages to not just come from these corporations. That mm -hmm. obviously goal is for profit. Yeah. Um, not to better, you know, not to make have the consumer's life be better. Right. Right. Exactly. And and it and that argument too it it plainly ignores that the wishes of the consumer are actually manufactured by the producer, so we're we're really not uh, getting what we want. They're giving us what they want us to want. Right. Basically, right. Um, a good book on this, if you're like, well, I don't know if that's true, mm -hmm. um, is Manufacturing Consent by Noam Chomsky. Mm -hmm. uh, have you read Chomsky, Sonia? I. Have read something way back. That mm. I've read something, and I don't remember the. It wasn't the book that you're stating, though. Yeah, I, it's. I don't even know that I've read Chomsky, but I love him. Like I, mm -hmm. I've seen videos and stuff. Um, I love him. Um, but yeah, and so so that's not a good argument. I mean, he's giving us very good reasons why, you know, uh, we don't naturally inherently just like 
choose to consume well in a, in a wide mm-hmm. way, you know? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And, and, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was uh, going to say when um, our listeners are, are hearing this podcast, or, or at least I'm aware, and I think you would agree, Lacey, that these changes are going to have to come about gradually. That's something that Fromm talks about because these are huge. These are norms and status quo and institutions right. that um, overnight are not going to change. Right. So we have to look at the power, which he discusses, the power of the consumer and in different ways, which I know we're going to get into, that the, mm-hmm. that the consumer can make an impact on these uh, corporations and um institutions that have have existed for you know hundreds of years now (laughs) right and i think that's where the power comes um it's very empowering to think of it in that way and also i think you know the information that we learn from this chapter in our discussion i hope um today is empowering because it's like you're saying um consumers having having power and and exacting that power i think that's really important. And it's also really important um, because we also are not aware of the fact that the industry is influencing our tastes and our wants by not producing commodities that would be helpful for us, would Mm -hmm. for us, um, but would be less profitable to industry, which I think is a good argument for some government subsidization, subsidization of certain products or certain things that might be more healthful or healthy for us. Sure, sure. Um, could you think of a product that you would want the government to subsidize off the top of your head? Yeah, uh, okay. personal trainer, <laughs> products and services, personal yeah. therapy. Right. Um, yeah, health, health related, sure. That's yeah. uh, organic yeah. foods, come on. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of things, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know one of the things, what did you think of one of the ideas that Fromm has in here is consumer strikes? Yes. What are your thoughts of that? Yeah. I love this idea. I think that what's amazing about this idea is you don't really need, you just need 20% of consumers. Right. That's what he talks about. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to have like half the country participate in this. You can have, you know, 20% of people and make a difference. I agree. I agree. One of the things, and maybe you and I have talked about this personally before, one of the things I find challenging is I want to make different choices, but sometimes our choices are limited. If there's only one place to go, I'm just using that as an example. If there's only one market to go, there's only one producer of something to go, then it's difficult because you want to have someone, you know, another group to go to another organization. Mm -hmm. And so that that's, the challenge because we get some of these um i don't want to name the names but we get some of these organizations they're just overwhelming mm-hmm. and they kind they have captured the market in every way yeah and so if you want efficiency and you want you know options then everyone's going to this one producer and so that to me mm-hmm. it's that's not really going along with the free market very well no there's a domination of yeah, that does not scream a free market, healthy market, a market that um, helps small businesses thrive. Right, right. that's where I'm going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Absolutely not. Well, I want to read this section um, okay. about the consumer strikes. Um, and let me make sure I'm in the right place here. Uh, yes. So 
It says, sane consumption is possible only if we can drastically curb the right of stockholders and management of big enterprises to determine their production solely on the basis of profit and expansion. So basically, we have to change the fact that they can just keep making shit just to make more money, right? Right. And um, so one of the ways that we can do that, um, he says, is consumer strikes. It's a it's a means to fight for sane consumption and changes in the socioeconomic models that we're um, that we're like you know using and that we um, are a part of here uh, in the Western world. Yeah, I know. I, I love that. I mean, um, what I like, the reason he brings up consumer strikes is he talks about it cutting through. It's not doesn't have to be liberal or, you know, it doesn't have to be right or left. I know that's the terminology we're using because everyone has the same goal in right. strike. You don't have to bring in this uh, this ideology that's kind of separated us. Mm -hmm. Th this is really cool. So the, the example that he gives in the book is, um, a consumer strike against the um, um, like car mm -hmm. cars purchasing cars, and I think when he wrote this in the fifties, that was a big thing. Cars, and that was very dominant yeah. on the economy, dominant part of the economy. Um, but he said, assume for instance that twenty percent of American car consuming population were to decide not to buy private automobiles because they were bad for the environment, <laughs> they were economically wasteful and psychologically damaging, which I love that, by the way. I hate cars. Do you, you know that about me, Sonia? I hate- I don't think I knew that, yeah. No? Oh, okay, I've told a couple people, but I hate, I don't wanna be in a car. Mm -mm. That's one of the reasons I love Guatemala so much, because I just walk- You prefer the walking or mass transportation? Yes, okay. yes. It's fascinating to me how psychologically damaging a car is to you. And he talks about that in this chapter. Uh, but anyway, so if we, mm -hmm. if he says, if would say, look, we're, we're, we're destroying the environment. The we're, we're adding to climate change. Um, this is bad for us right. and our mental health. And it's just a waste of money. Cause we, uh, yeah. boy, that's another reason I hate cars, how much money you just throw down the black the hole. Dream, yeah. Car. yeah, exactly. And he says, if 20% of consumers did that, then, um, that would make a huge impact on the economy. Course, yeah. What would happen is it would could ha it could just be like okay for thirty days we're going to say we're not buying cars, and then um, the automobile industry would say, "Whoa, <laughs> you guys are jacking up our shit here. We need yeah. to have a conversation," and then we could negotiate and make right. some changes, which I think yeah. is brilliant. So yes, it's absolutely brilliant. I actually, yeah, what he, what is real interesting too that he brings up um, is that I think that consumers have to be educated, like what you're talking about, of their power, of their potential yeah. power. I don't think we know that. And the other part that we kind of talked upon with the advertising is also the unconscious motivation of why that power, mm -hmm. of why we do what we do that he yeah. brings up. And that is really, really fascinating to me from the psychology perspective, like we've talked about. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a challenge that we would face with these consumer strikes is getting enough people to know, um, you know, that this is not a good route for them to be going to be consuming at this rate and that they actually do have power. Mm -hmm. Even like I said, 20, 30 percent of them um, could could make an impact in this way. So that is a challenge. Um, and I think, you know, 
one of the harder elements of this making something like this happen. But I, I can tell you just from reading the chapter, I'm more mm -hmm. encouraged about being able to make some changes on this idea alone. Oh, sure. Through. Yeah. And I think the other part of this is if you're actively participating, you feel more as if you're like a true citizen. If what right. you're doing, like, like the example you're giving of a consumer strike or being educated on really what's going on, because I think a lot of people feel disconnected from this whole process of, you know, the companies, politics, economics, like yeah. how does, you know, everyone goes on with their day-to-day -day life. But what Frome is saying that we can have an impact as individuals, mm -hmm. obviously collectively coming together. And so that step is first letting people know you have the power. Right, right. And he talks about advantages of consumer strikes too. They don't require government action. They're mm -hmm. very difficult to combat. Um, and there would be no need to wait for like 51% of citizens, you know, to, to be on board. Um, so, and like you had mentioned earlier, they cut, it cuts through these political slogans. Uh, it, it would unite us, um, right. you know, and it would be like, you know, um, I don't know. I think it, it could help bring us together, especially right now. We definitely need that. We're in a place where we need that. So I think, oh, and it's also very intrinsically mo motivated versus mm -hmm. someone outside of us saying to us, we need to go do this. Let's all go do this. You know what I'm saying? It's it's not like it came from some political slogan and then we decided to do it. It was like, hey, we're citizens. We don't want to consume like this because it's bad for us. Let's all get together and do something to make a change. Yeah. And I, I love he has a line here where he says a powerful public sentiment could move uh, that the spirit of these laws, he's talking about antitrust laws, be applied to the existing corporate superpowers so that those superpowers would be broken up into smaller units. So the language that I like is he uses a powerful public sentiment, which is what we're saying. So yeah. therein goes back to the potential power of the uh, humanist minded uh, consumers that we would be, that we, right. that he's advocating for us to be. Yep. I think this is an interesting sentence, Sonia, and I, I, I'll be honest, I, I fully, I don't know that I fully understand all of what it's implying, but I want to read it and, and okay. get your thoughts. <clears throat> he says, for even the remnant of democracy that still exists is doomed to yield to technocratic fascism. This is a powerful sentence, this next one, I think, to a society well-fed, to a, I'm sorry, to a society of well-fed, unthinking robots the very type of society that was so much feared under the name of communism, unless the giant corporations big hold on government and on the population is broken. So he's basically saying, unless we break up the power of the government, um, you know, and the corporations and their, the brain, mm -hmm. um, okay. we, we are um. going to be headed to technocratic fascism, which I think is quite interesting. So this is why you and I are doing the podcast together, Lacey, because this is exactly what I have down. And um, I said, Lacey, I remember you talking about this. Yeah. So technocratic fascism, well-fed robots, which is, I think, is defining us. So just for those that want to know, so fascism, I'm going to define that as a form of far-right ultranationalism characterized by dictatorial power. Hmm. Di dictatorial power. 
So you have to imagine when he talks about this technocratic fascism, that's what you're looking at in Silicon Valley. Mm. You see? Mm. That's what's going on. And so that's a whole nother, we, you mm. can go down that rabbit hole. But I think it's really fascinating because what he's saying, and, and I see where we're going, we're actually living that now, is we're well-fed. You know, that's just the idea of, you know, we're walking around, you know, doing what we need to do, but we're sort of, there's an automaton sort of thing going on that we kind of think we know what we want and we follow the remainder or the pack. Yeah. And he's really cutting through all that. And that's just amazing because that's kind of, that's the world we're living in right now. He At least for the first, for our world, the way I'm seeing it. Yeah, where we where we're living. Well, you know, again, I want to point to he wrote this in 1955. So right, or in the 70s, it, it, 50s, the 70s. I, I'm not sure exactly, but in there, I'll, I'll have to check, double check that. But it was definitely not before the 80s, 80s that he wrote this, and so it's quite amazing to me. He just predicted it. I mean, we're living in the midst. That's what we're living. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, the social dilemma, right? That's exactly <laughs> what the social dilemma. That's is. exactly right. Yeah. And when I say the social dilemma, I'm referring to a Netflix documentary about the power of uh, technology and social media. So if you haven't checked that out, definitely check it out. And and the irony here is that um, I did, you know, I knew I had in my head what fascism was, but I looked up the ex the definition. I'm sure people could argue that is, you know, mm -hmm. all these things that From is talking about, we're dealing with right now in our country. Right. That's what just amazing um and people could obviously have different uh opinions on what degree we are at where where exactly we are in this spectrum but the fact that he points out that we need a political democracy that that everyone's involved in i think this is what i like that he's really stating the importance of the involvement yeah. of the individual right the consumer and that's that's sort of the message that keeps for me in this same consumption part. Yeah. And and it also is a is a good transition to the next section, the next point that he makes, which is that we all have to um uh participate in our economic function, which would mean like we're participating in decision making within the in uh the corporation or the the community of like workers that we're working with. And then also as citizens, so within the democracy. And he says, um, our liberation from the having mode of existence is possible only through the full realization of industrial and political participatory democracy. Industrial democracy implies that each member of a large industrial or other organization plays an active role mm -hmm. in the life of the organization, that each is fully informed and participates in decision making, starting at the level of the individual's own work process, health and safety measures, and eventually participating in decision-making at higher general policy levels of the enterprise. It is essential that employees themselves represent them, the workers, in the respective mm -hmm. bodies of co-determination. Yeah, yeah. I, that's super cool. So the part of this that I love too that he says is that a true political democracy can be defined as where life is interesting because mm. one is participating in the community. Yes. And so he brings together the fact that this should be 
instead of this sort of alien kind of out there thing, we're participating mm -hmm. because we're part of the community, which has yeah. sort of our, been our message all along. And right. That's what talks about. Yes. And he talks about when there's community, it provides all of us a life that is more interesting and stimulating. And the reality is, is that we can all, I think, mm -hmm. look at the past year and how limited we've been with in-person community events and realize that we've been longing for that. We've been missing that. And, and we can see that, yes, that's true. Our life is more interesting. It's more stimulating. I think we were talking about this yesterday uh, with Richard, Sonia, about even just what Dr. Maluista told us about the pheromones that mm -hmm. you, know, you get with just being in the presence of people, other people. It's such a need that we have as human beings. Yeah, and I'll share a personal um, story real quick is mm -hmm. for the listeners is that um, obviously during this time, we're all kind of doing, you know, I guess indoors, but we do go outdoors occasionally and live our lives with the masks and social distancing. Right. So um, yesterday, I met in the late afternoon outdoors with about five of us, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And wow, I, I have to tell you, it was so invigorating just that short period of time from the weekend to connect with other people, yep. hear other people's opinions, voices, you know, just visually see someone, um, you know, and, and that interact like you're talking, Lacey, the, the body language, laugh, mm -hmm. um, just share. And yep. I realize we are such social animals. We need that. It's, you know, we will literally just, you know, curl up in a corner. At least I will, if I don't have my, you know, interaction with others. And yes, it's, it's so, so important. It really is. Yeah. I, I, um, you know, spent more time this weekend outside with friends than I have in a, in a little while. And it was so refreshing. I mean, I didn't realize how much, it would impact my happiness levels, um, my overall well-being. Um, I don't think I, I mean, I knew it, but I didn't know what it would, how good it would feel and how, how mm -hmm. bad, you know, so I feel you. And yeah, it was, it was really nice. I mean, we were talking last night about how, um, you know, even how we're reading each other's facial expressions and mm -hmm. how that even is something that's essential to our, you know, communication and our, our connection to each other. Um, and then how overwhelming that can become when you have like 12 people that you're trying to do that with on Zoom. On Zoom right. I'm going to go uh, with, I think what you're talking about is that the pheromones are released when you're in, when you're with other people. And so if you're doing like a Zoom call and you're connect, you're not getting that same, you know, reaction with the body. And so that's something that the human body, uh, it's, it's positive, you know? It's like positive uh, hormones that are coming into your body. So I just thought that was a cool point that, that the doctor made. Yeah, she did. And I mean, I think, again, that's part of the reason why um, she wrote her article and uh, about the coming mental health storm, because mm -hmm. we're missing this right now, right. a lot of us. And so that's a really difficult thing. So uh, the last thing we'll talk about uh, today on this episode is the idea of a lower house. I think this is so interesting. Oh, right, right. Um, so Fromm proposes that there would be groups of many hundred, many, uh, I'm sorry, hundreds of thousands of mm -hmm. groups of about 500 people 
that would be creative, created um, and they would be like decision making bodies and they mm -hmm. would send information um, and the thoughts of the people, um, the constituents and that kind of thing to, um, you know, to the House of Representatives, the Senate mm -hmm. to help with uh, government, government mm -hmm. decision making. No, I love this. And I'll tell you why, because the way he describes it as this, this body would be one where you would go and listen to experts. Um, you would listen to other people present data or information. And then as citizens in this lower house group, you would have a chance to be educated and analyze and, and make proper decisions. Because I think right now we're just given slogans or little statements and mm -hmm. we don't really know sometimes what is behind those, the information that we're, we're given. So I like the idea of the lower house because it really gives you a chance to be better aware and educated of what the issues are and also hear both sides, right? If there, if there are these presentations and your voice is going to be heard because in this voting process on the lower house, then you also have a voice that, as you would say, would go up to the House of Representatives. It yeah. definitely lends itself to a more participatory democracy. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I want to read just a little bit of this to give some more explicit information to our listeners. Um, so he talked about the groups. Um, and they would be permanent bodies of deliberation and decision making with regard to basic problems in the fields of economics, foreign policy, health, education, and the means to well-being. I love that he threw that in there. These groups would be given all pertinent information, um, would discuss the information and would vote on the issue. Mm -hmm. um, and their votes, uh, all their votes would be collected within a day. Oh, this is funny. And given our current technological methods, he says all their votes will be collected in a day. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, you know, seventies. So that's wow. a lot. The totality of these groups would form a lower house, whose decisions, along with those of other political organs, would have a critical influence on le legislation. So, in his mind, this is not just a waste of our time. It's actually, yeah. you know, something that uh, has a crucial influence on right. What's yeah, happening? when he says critical influence, and he, and he describes well how you would be part of this group and what the group would actually to talk about and who would be attending, so that you could learn what you need to learn to be able to participate. Right. And I just think it's a it's an incredible idea. Yeah, I think it's a awesome idea too, and really cool that there's these nuggets in here from him um, from from many years ago. He actually wrote that. Um, idea of the lower house in the same society which he wrote in the 50s right so it's been around here for a while um but it's so cool that he we was a visionary visionary yeah. yeah big time big time and it, it's so cool that we get to to share about it on on here on the podcast so yeah sonia closing thoughts we're we're not even done with this chapter <laughs> yet not even close oh wow well this is i like this because now we're actually getting into the meat of some ideas that we can look at implementing and uh, you know keep the conversation going and see uh, how there's actually ways we can do things within our society um, yeah. because I know we talked a lot about like sort of the theories and and in the being mode but now he's drilling down to okay how could we make this happen right. how could we actually put this into practice and I like that
I'm really glad that he wrote this chapter because he could have just written the first part and left this out. And that would yeah. be more disappointing, more of, you know, disillusioning and mm -hmm. it's hopeful, you know, it's really, really hopeful. So I'm glad for this chapter. There's more to come. Um, you know, little hint that it will give you. He talks about basic income in here. <laughs> he does. He talks about basic income. We might get to that in the next episode, but um, we hope you stay tuned. Um, next time we you hear from us, it will be a Rethinking Humanity interviews live with Andrew Phillip. PhD, we're going to talk about integrated care and um, how we can make primary care more human and more humane. It's going to be a fun one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, get ready to check that out. Uh, we'll do that one live. And that is on Saturday, this coming Saturday, the 23rd at 3.30 p.m. Don't forget to check out Yang Gang Book Club, fun time program, The Quiet Punch. It's quietpunch.com. 10% off when you uh, enter the code Rethinking Humanity at checkout. Um, that will support us. So thank you for doing that. And uh, yeah, that's it. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day, everybody. And uh, we'll see you soon. Yeah. Bye, guys. Bye.